0: Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at PCTYTalks at Paylocity.com. On the podcast today with me is Deirdre Copeland from DC Global's Um, organization. She's the principal and chief strategist. Uh, Dee has more than 16 years of leadership experience and is extremely passionate about leading teams and igniting change. Um, In fact, she recently presented to our organization around allyship, and I frankly couldn't wait to have her on the podcast today so that we could dig into that topic a little bit more and learn about her unique knowledge and perspective for our listeners. So Dee, thanks so much for joining me today. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Sherry, for having me. Awesome. So I thought we could dive right in. So we're going to talk about allyship today. Yes. I thought a good place to start would be like, what's your definition of allyship? How should we be thinking about that concept?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so my definition is kind of a combination of quite a few textbook definitions, right, mixed with a little generational infusion. Um, But if we were to boil it down, I would say the real definition of an ally is any person that actively promotes and aspires to advance the culture of inclusion intentionally for underrepresented or marginalized groups in any significant way. Um, that, that covers, I think, you know, no matter what forum you're in, whether it's workplace culture, uh, community culture, family culture, um, political culture, et cetera.
0: Do you think in that definition, so I've heard this before, I is, um, I think people get stuck on what allyship is and isn't. Do you think as allies, you only can support one group or one demographic or one, you can only be an ally for one thing. I do
1: not think that. In fact, I look at allyship as something a bit of a trait and a spirit that a person chooses to kind of harness, so to speak. Because I think in order for you to be a real ally, there has to be, you know, your actions may not be perfect because none of us are, but there has to be a real kind of multicultural inclusive bone in you where you are disturbed by any injustice and poor treatment of any misrepresented group. Allyship per se, as far as where you become maybe a formal ally, is what group you tend to formally get connected to uh, to take and show action. And the reason I don't think it has to be just for one group um, or that it makes you a bad person if you're just an ally for LGBTQIA plus groups versus African-American groups is there are, you never know what the circumstances are for an ally that connects them to be in a position to support that particular group. For instance, an example would be um, uh, I, I don't think you'd mind me saying, Chris Abley, right, who used to be a Milwaukee County Executive. I for one know that Chris Abley formally, um, through his organization, supports LGBTQ efforts, right? And specifically in the political forum. At the same time, philanthropically, he supports African-American entrepreneurs in startups, Um, as well as investing in, um, one of his large investments was for the African-American Chamber of Commerce to be a namesake donor for their legacy space, which is for entrepreneurs to come and collaborate. And so that's a perfect example of kind of multidimensional. And so it's a long answer to your question, but in particularly, I think people very much so get stuck on well, they're just a black ally or they're just an ally for pride rights, right? Or gay human rights. Um, I don't think we should box people there. um, And I think most allies don't like to be boxed there.
0: Yeah. I I like the concept of, you know, uh, that you shared about feeling boxed in, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, something that we talked about in our session with you. And I think a question that comes up a lot is, um, I have this passion, I have this feeling, right? This spirit of allyship that you talked about, um, but I don't know what to do with it and I don't want to offend anybody. What do you say to those people as they, they've they started to identify or um, become awake or aware of their passions and and some of the things they're seeing, but like, don't even know where to start. Like, where do I begin to be an ally in general?
1: Mm-hmm, so I think the first, very, very first step is probably education and self-learning. And oftentimes, you know, we think that that means taking on an entire book like White Fragility, right? Or, um, or you know, Sins of Our Nation. It literally, I always tell folks, if that's your speed, right? If that's who you are and you're a book lover, Yes but start your education in a space that comes organic to you. I love learning, but I don't love learning going through full books at a time. So for me in particular, um, I do a lot of online research that gives me and points me into videos. So there's Ted Talks, there's YouTubes, there's interviews, but also articles. And so I'd say start there, right? Start to just kind of whatever's organic to you, I would even start people on the internet because that way you can ask your questions and find the perfect resources versus reading a whole full book and still leaving with more questions than you started with. So I'd say start with self-education because one of the mistakes I do see made unintentionally is that um, the there's a, there's always a lot of questions as you're evolving into whatever ally you're shaping to be. And the the discomfort and the unknown kind of leads sometime to the notion that the underrepresented group should educate you. Um, it is a little bit of a marriage of education, but it starts with self-education. Secondly, I'd say figure out where the low-hanging fruit of support is, right? Does your organization, like yours in particular, have ERGs? You do. Um, The best thing that you can do is join the ERG that's connected to the affinity of the group that you'd like to learn more about and that you feel most connected to. Um, You're going to learn a whole lot just by that because those groups stand for advocacy, education, education. And support. I'd say the third thing to do is to create maybe some small, safe spaces of learning um, where there's already some uh, relationships of trust that you can connect and start conversations, just conversations, nothing too crazy. Um, But then, last but not least, take perfect off the table. You know, intergenerational and inter raced relationships, uh, anytime you see them when they're harmonious, there's a journey of a road of messiness that led there, of hurt feelings, of unintentional offenses. Um, And that's critical because in order to connect on a deep level, you have to go deep. And let me, I mean, think about our relationship with our significant others, right? And how many bumps we had along the way before we found this harmony, right, of understanding what that person's intent was. And I think that is, that's critical. So taking perfect off the table, because it's not, it's impossible to be an ally and think that you're going to be perfect in, in this space.
0: Yeah, I've used, I've used the caveat of, um, I don't know if the question I'm gonna ask is ignorant or not. You know, I'm trying to learn, I'm a work in progress. Yes. Um, here's what I've read. Is it right? Is it not right? How what's your experience been like? I've used some of those phrases. Do you have some go-to phrases that um you've used or suggested for people in the past?
1: Yeah, I'll start by saying I love that you started with, here's what I've read, right? Um, It immediately puts people a little bit more on the defense when it feels like you're coming from a place of, I'm looking to affirm research versus use you as my research, right? Um, And so I think that's a really good one. I think other phrases are, um, one, I'll be honest, it really depends on the scenario. If it's proactive, I think it's a scenario where you specifically maybe say, hey, I'd love to have a discussion. Um, on race. Wondering when you'd have a moment that we can sit and talk. You know, when you don't catch people off guard, (laughs) that helps. You'd be so surprised how many people in all of those um, demographic affinity groups are more than willing to have this conversation. They just don't prefer it when we're at the lunch counter. And you may then just kind of without warning, kind of throw out a question to say, is it normal for black people to do that? Or is that normal in the gay community? I thought I thought queer was, you know, a bad word or offensive. What you know, that kind of throws folks off versus the alternative of, listen, I've been doing some recent research and I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you about terminology. Just because I'm still learning and growing, and I know that you could be informative to my growth here, and then having that, so I love that. If it's in the moment, because sometimes these things happen, right? Um, I think uh, the you know I, I think saying you ask a bit of a hey, can I can I can I ask you a bit of a um, ethnically personal question? Or uh, maybe culturally sensitive question. Perfect lead-in.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I, appre- I appreciate those um, those last two wording suggestions. I think that's huge to at least have that in your in your bucket to be able to pull from. Um, yes. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk yeah. about um, you know as we've gone through this recent social unrest, we've seen mm-hmm. companies really rise to the occasion. We've mm-hmm. seen struggle uh, we've seen companies fail <laughs> um but you know one of the things that's still out there from a gender diversity perspective is there's still a lot of white males in power in organizations and you know this concept of you know the cisgender heterosexual white male um you know how do we how do we as hr people if i think about it from our perspective how do we help continue to bring people along on this journey and show the importance of allyship show the importance of the influence that um People in the organization can have um, not only changing their own perspective, but trajectories of their company and ideology on things like ERGs and benefit resources and those types of things. You know, so I think it starts with
1: if you're going to be in the human resources business, right? You're in the human business. And um, I think it starts by leading by example. Um, and so, when you lead by example, and not just in um, literature and expertise and next trends, but literally from experience, you all are able to tell a story in a very different way, um, much like you're doing now, right? Um, and so, one of the uh, I like to use examples based on what I've seen you do, um, and that is, you know, number one. You have an ERG base that you all empower. That's, that's step number one. And that you utilize to create these safe spaces for real conversation. I think it's really important for organizations right now to know that two things are critical um, dialogue and action. And that action really looks more like deeper levels of strategic movement. Um, and so, uh, the spaces for dialogue need to be in the fact that I think historically, if we all be very honest, when we think about diversity and inclusion um, at the grassroots level, connecting to any level in the organization, it's been pretty practitioner surface level talk. Um, if we all be a hundred percent honest, right? I, even when I was a uh, DNI leader. Um, you know, we were literally just talking about representation <laughs> and, and, and the fact that we wanted to feel like there was opportunity for us in leadership training programs, et cetera. I think what the pandemic did for us and by pandemic, I'm, I'm speaking of COVID-19 is if we think about a diversity waterline, right. And, uh, our or iceberg and the waterline of that iceberg Think about everything that you can see at the surface. I think that the pandemic put us in a position where, without permission, we were forced to recede our personal um, water lines. And so, people who we work with were now invited to our homes. Um, I can see your beautiful window, right? Um, I think for Paylocity, where you've got the upper hand there is that you all were already a largely remote organization who were already connecting in a bit more of a personal way. And so you all knew what it takes, number one, to drive any initiative, let alone human initiatives like culture, to connect close enough. And so I think you all telling these stories and then being super clear and transparent about Um, how it's worked, what worked, what didn't. I think that's critical. When we, um, so, and that's for conversations. As far as action, I think um, uh, there's no other way for me to say it. I think that allyship in this new season is really about in corporate spaces anyway. I'll put that, I'll separate and say workforce. I think allyship in corporate spaces is really around every level figuring out from a structure and system perspective how they make real change to allow everyone the opportunity to show up and contribute. That's going to result in programmatic changes. Um, it's going to result in it should eventually, maybe even how performance is measured to some extent. Um And maybe even what training looks like to some extent. um so I think that's a long answer again to your question. um but clearly, you hit a passion button there.
0: It's interesting your comment about training um because when I think about you know allyship and and becoming more aware and really thinking through things and learning learning from those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an employee reach out and say, hey, I'm hard of hearing, and all of our training isn't closed captioning or closed captioned. And it was such an aha moment, but it was like, oh, duh, no-brainer. We should have already been doing that. Um, but it took somebody just having the courage to say like, hey, this isn't working for me, and I yeah. can't experience this the same way. So yeah. I think there is a piece there about not only from you know the HR person trying to help educate leadership, but also creating an environment where employees feel like they can speak up and can't my needs aren't being met.
1: Yes, I have to feel safe enough to even give you what you can't see on my diversity iceberg, right? I have to feel, and it's interesting that you use that example. So um, I'll save the name of the organization, but um, there is an upcoming event that I'll be engaged with. And um, one of the uh, panelists um, reached out and stated that their organization stated that um, we had to wear masks. Well, she has to show up and wear a mask for what will be a hybrid event, so we'll all be together. Now, the disclaimer and the fact that Um, the organization who's throwing this, when I tell you went through crazy lengths (laughs) to make sure this is COVID safe, like down to the fact that we'll be the only six people in a 5,000 square feet room. We're sitting at three, eight foot round tables, two apart, et cetera. And this person was so concerned because they said, number one, um, and they're representing a particular demographic. um, And I said, and they said, maybe I should just sit this one out. And I said to them, do you want to sit this one out? Um, And they said, no. I said, well, you're not going to because here's the deal. I said, we'll figure out the solution. And ultimately, you know, I think what drove me a little crazy is that it was based on optics and not really safety measures. Eventually, she just said, I was willing to sit it out because I was going to feel uncomfortable. Why do I have to be the only person on this panel with a mask on? No one gets to hear my voice and see what I said. And I said, and the third reason, I refuse to host an event where my hearing impaired participants can't contribute. And I said, so where I'm frustrated is that it seems like this organizational policy doesn't keep that in mind given that they stated that anytime you publicly speak, you have to be in a mask. And so ultimately our answer was that we ordered some masks with some clear middles and uh, we'll we'll be just fine. But I told her, I said, I will not let your voice be silent. And I won't let those who um, are hearing impaired not hear your voice and experience. And so it goes back to this notion, right? That what if I was someone who, only felt like I could be an ally for one particular group. It then makes me mute and, and and desensitized when things like that happen, and I'm able to pick up and say, "No, this is an exclusionary issue. No, I need to stand up for her race, her gender. I also need to stand up for those who I know deserve to hear and see everything that's going on."
0: I love that example. I, I do. I really do. I think. So many times, it takes one person to be courageous and say, "No, we're missing. We're missing the point." Um, as you think about managers, right, having this um, special place in an organization where they're at the front lines a lot, how can we equip them to have the right conversations and be aware of when to raise issues, um, kind of up the chain and say, "Hey, I think." we rolled out a program that's not applicable, or I'm seeing some tension in my group. I think it might be race-related. Yes. Yeah. So what are, what are some pieces of advice you know those listening in the HR space can start to coach or counsel their managers with?
1: I think that prior to the pandemic, um, D&I in most corporations were at least on the agenda, and some organizations were deeper on the agenda. But for some reason, we felt like it needed mountains and uh, dashboards and scorecards to move it. And and let me be clear, all of those things are good things because we have to have measurements to track progress and and structure. And so that's very critical. But I think what happens is I think that's a great framework for change. I think what we forget is that at the manager level, We have spent the last five to 10 years teaching managers um, how to be agile um, and technically astute within whatever skill they're leading in a function as a team. The reality is I personally, this is me personally, gospel according to Deirdre, um, I don't believe people are agile. I believe systems are agile and that we become nuanced and skilled at being nimble at managing agile systems and making them agile. I say all this to say what I do think we stopped pouring into managers is how to lead people and how to be human with the humans that they're leading. Um, And I think if we go back to the core of really helping people connect with human beings in the workplace, really getting underneath right um, their, the waterline and, and encouraging that and having courage and vulnerability and authenticity be mission-driven attributes at a team level um, that then we can arm them with... Um, so number one, that will sensitize them so much more. It'll open their eyes up to what they're currently not seeing and they'll feel differently. Then I think we pile on to that. Okay, now let us arm you with some tools in the toolbox around how to facilitate some of these conversations. I think the other thing that is going to be helpful and that I see working in a lot of organizations is within their organization and ERG network, creating ambassadors. Ambassadors for uh, certain um, not only just initiatives, but affinity groups and those ambassadors really being train the trainers and creators of some kind of training in a box um, so that, you know, because DI and i leaders listen and culture leaders, they have it hard. They are trying to move a mountain every day with normally like an army of two or three, if they have that. And so in an organization that's widespread you literally need one ambassador for every team, um, but you got to start somewhere. So it's great to start at least with every business function to have an ambassador that represents culture um, and connects to the top of the house.
0: See, this has been such a great discussion, um, both theoretical and tactical and emotional Um yeah. And Thank I think you. there's just, there's so much we can um, bring to the table as we think about bringing our whole selves to work on oh the topic. Um, if someone wants to get a hold of you and learn more about your company and what you do, what's the best yeah. way to do that?
1: Absolutely. So if they want to get in touch with me, um, so they can reach me right at my email box, dee at dcglobalgroup.com, or they can head over to the website uh, which is www.dcglobalgroup.com. And there's opportunity to get in touch then. Um, I love Paylocity. I think you guys are doing amazing work. Um, I always can measure, um, the sincerity and, um, and potential of an organization based on, um, the conversations that they're willing to have, but most importantly, the forms in which their leaders create. And so I have had the privilege of participating in a couple of those, um, and this being my third. And so I think from a culture perspective, you guys are doing so much better than you think, that's number one, Um, but we never know, we only know what's going on in our four walls. Um, But also I think that you all are going to be in coming years when we talk about culture leaders, um, who are setting some trends. I, I would not be surprised if Paylossity is in the list. So um, I can't wait until I'm called back for whatever reason and consider myself an honorary employee.
0: Well, I appreciate the compliment. And you know, as always, as we continue to learn, we're gonna help our listeners get there too. So again, thanks for jumping on with me today. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Sherry. I appreciate the invite.